Good morning. Let me have you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to finish up the chapter. We're going to go through verses 19 through 22, the body of Christ. And um, once again, I mean, I'd like to say that I planned it this way because today we are going to be celebrating uh, the Lord's table, remembering the body of Christ. But, um, well, it kind of worked out that way, and I'm glad to hear that. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that the Lord is uh, working in your life as well. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to start off in a word of prayer. Pray for our members. Pray for those that are um, around and, uh, and, and not feeling well. Terry, it's good to see you this morning. And uh, uh, Terry, would, oh, I, I'm sorry, I thought that was Terry back there. Uh, I thought I saw her. No? Okay. All right. Anyways, we need to pray for Terry. Oh, there you are. She's on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, want, we need to pray for Terry. She was in the hospital this last week. She had an aneurysm in her eye, and uh, and also she had a pacemaker put on. So Terry's been going through a lot of struggles in, in her life, and we want to lift her up in prayer. <clears throat> we also pray for my wife. She's at home, not feeling well today. Uh, she has a head cold. Uh, don't. It's not the, the that stuff. I mean, it's, the moment you say cold, it's it, it gets kind of weird. Uh, she's had it all week, so hopefully she'll get better soon. Uh, we want to thank God for winter. She's uh, finished all her treatment. She's done all her, um, uh, she's, they're going to find out here in a few weeks to see how far her cancer is, is gone. Hopefully we're praying that it is gone. And uh, anyone else that we can pray for that we have that we can lift up in prayer. Keep, keep praying for Mary as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, once again, we want to thank you for the opportunities of ministry. We thank you for the, the gospel message that was presented yesterday here uh, with the family members that lost their loved one. We thank you, Father, for the privilege and the honor to minister to them as, uh, as a church. And Father, they were ever so grateful, and, uh, and we know that your word is not going to come back void. We pray over that family. We pray you continue to bless them. You continue to uh, keep them and, and comfort them. Father, we also pray for those that are not with us today. We pray for Joan as, as she too is uh, at home. We, we pray your safety and protection upon her, upon Manuel and, and Lucy, and of course Ralph and, uh, and uh, Marcella as well, Lord. And we pray for Ralph and just the struggles that he's been going through. We thank you for Terry and uh, for getting her home safely, for the, uh, just all the things that could have happened. And, uh, and I just thank you for keeping her, Lord, keeping her safe. We do lift up to you, my wife, uh, and uh, for anyone else, Lord, that is, is not feeling well this week. Father, we thank you for, for loving us in spite of ourselves and providing the cross. We thank you for the, the salvation that we're able to share. And so this morning, Lord, we just want to come together as a group, as a church, as a body, as a building, as a temple that you have created and you had started. And, and Lord, we want to recognize the importance of this church the importance of your church, universally as well as locally. And we, we want to recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we can have this time together as a body of believers. So, Father, we thank you once again. Lead us in all things, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Amen. All right. And if you've been with us here for the last few weeks, we've been going over chapter 2. We find that what Paul has been saying uh, from the very beginning in verse 1, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in the way that we follow the course of this world. I know a lot of people that have grown up within the church and somehow it just doesn't seem to affect them or they see this, that they have also been following the, 
the prince of this world until that regeneration process happens. You're not born with it. You're born into it. Just because your parents are Christians, just because you go to church, just because of all those things, there needs to come a point in your life where you are born again. You must be born again. This is the message that we proclaimed yesterday, that you must be born again. Nicodemus, uh, one of the 6,000 Pharisees, uh, a ruler of the, of the Pharisees, of the Jews. He was a teacher, one of the 70 that was a ruler. I mean, he was the man with all the answers. He had everything under his belt, but he came to Jesus Christ at night and asked him. Uh, well, actually, didn't even ask him a question. He made a statement. He says, we know that you are a man that comes from God because no one can do the things that you do. And Jesus flipped the tables on him and directed right at his heart, no one can come into the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Jesus says this three, four times, born, born again, born again. And he says three times, truly, truly, I, you need to get this. You must be born again. Nicodemus, of course, the ruler, the educator of, of Israel, he had all the answers. He's the guy that people would go to to find out what is it that I must do according to Scripture. And Jesus is telling him, you must be born again. I don't care what church, I don't care how far you've gone, or where, you, where, where who your parents are, or, or uh, what church you attend, what membership role that you're on. Unless you're born again, does it matter which membership role that you're on? You're not going to be on the Lamb's Book of Life's membership, the role. It is, has to be, you must be born again. There needs to be this transaction of the old self removing itself and the new self coming. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul has made the statement and he's going to continue to make the statement. And he says, it is by grace that you're saved through faith, uh, through faith, through Jesus Christ. It's by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's nothing that we can do, not by works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's the evidence. One of the evidences of being born again is that you bear good fruit. Not just because I say so. It's the fruit that we bear. And it's the Holy Spirit, the power that gives you to bear fruit. And if you say you're a Christian and you're living a sinful life, then what ends up happening is you're not genuinely a Christian. One person tried to tell me yesterday, well, I got baptized at the age of 14. And so therefore, once saved, always saved. 80 years old, this is no, it doesn't work that way. And, uh, you know, it, true, the once saved, always saved doctrine is not the one that we preach here. We preach the security of the believer, the, the security of the genuine believer. The once saved, always saved doctrine is, yeah, I came to church one time, I got saved, and I can live my life the way I want to live, is how a lot of people interpret that. But a, but a genuine, regenerated believer will bear fruit for the kingdom, not for himself, will bear fruit for, uh, for the kingdom of God, not for his own self. And, and so to say that I'm a Christian to say is, is one thing. And people call themselves Christians all the time. And, and, and the, the sad reality is that very few people are going to be able to enter. Those that have gone to church, those that have done the things that the Bible says that you should do. As a matter of fact, Jesus is very clear in Matthew chapter 7. He says in verse 21, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. I said, well, wait a minute, Jesus. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miraculous signs in your name? Didn't we do the things that the church requested and required for us to do? 
And people want to get into the kingdom by what they do. And if your lifestyle hasn't changed, I said this yesterday, and I'll say it again today. It's not your fiance. It's fornication. It's not an alternate, an alternate lifestyle. It's a lie. It's, it's not a, an affair. It's adultery. And we've softened sin, even within the church. It seems like that it's no big deal. You know, God knows who I am. God understands my dilemma. God understands that I'm a work in progress. You see, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And beloved, it's unfortunate, but it's the sinner that will be sent to hell. And so Paul says in verse 11, therefore, he's, and remember last week, I always, a professor used to tell me, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to go back. And this is why I went back today to, to go back there to show us what it is that Paul's getting at. Therefore, remember that at one time, and he tells us that we were Gentiles, that we were in the flesh, we were separated, we were not part of the citizenship of God. We had uh, no, we were strangers to the covenant. We had no hope. We had no God in this world. He said, you you were, you were back in that place, in that place where you're separated from God. And if, and if you die separated from God, you will spend eternity in hell separated from God. Now, I don't know where hell is at. I don't know, if, you know how, how real, well, I know it's real, but I don't know the intensity of it. But I know it's a place that you will not die. You will live in this torment for all eternity. And so we need to examine ourselves. In, in 1 John, we're going through the book of 1 John in the men's Bible studies on Saturday morning. In 1 John, John gives us nine characteristics, nine essentials, nine characteristics of a genuine believer. And, and you have to hit all nine of these. You can't pick three out of nine or, or the top six or I'll just do these. It's got to be all nine or you're not a believer. Basically, what John is saying. And the Gospel of John tells us how to get saved or how it is that we're saved. But 1 John shows us on what it is to be saved. And, it, and it's, it's a theme throughout the New Testament. It's, it's a theme throughout Jesus Christ's ministry. You will know them by their fruits. If they say one thing but they do another, you'll know them by their fruits. The fruit is in the root. And we used to be there. And because we used to be there, we know what it's like, and we're not there no, anymore. We are now uh, new creations. The old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And now our responsibility is to, to reconcile people to God and people to each other. We, ha we are ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ. And, and, and these ambassadors, what they do is they go in the name of Jesus Christ, not to build my kingdom, but to build the kingdom of God. And he shares with us on how all this came together. And he says in verse, verse 16 that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross and thereby killing the hostility. We talked about the hostility that is in the world today, the, the racism that exists in the world today, these social programs that are willing to or wanting to get rid of this racism. Racism cannot be eradicated. Racism will not be eradicated until sin is gone. Racism is a part of sin. 
to believe and think that I can create a group that is going to help get rid or a government or a nation to get rid of racism, it's not going to happen because racism is rooted in sin. And because sin is the dominant factor in this world, there will always be racism. And Paul knew this. And we talked about the wall of hostility, the wall that was separating the Gentiles from the temple. But yet they were to be brought in so that they can be ministered to, so that the Jews can um, evangelize them and bring them to God. And, And the purpose of the temple and the purpose of the Jewish people and the purpose of the nation was to be separate in all that they did, in their customs, in their marriages, in their foods, in, in the way they dressed, every, in their religion, everything they did. They were very religious people. And God said, you will have only one God. The problem was is that everybody around them had many gods. And because they had many gods, they would call the Jewish people atheists. You guys only have one God? What is wrong with you guys? And, and the one God that separated them from everyone else. But they saw... The plight of Israel. And when the church was established at Pentecost, when the church came together and started to bring all these different languages in, all these different people in, it was inclusive. And yet the Jews wanted to keep them out or at least try to convert them to Judaism before they can become Christians. And there was a big dispute over that. And they said, no, everyone is included. This is what God had intended from the very beginning. And today, beloved, we have a church That includes everyone. And we are together as a church, united in one theme, in one song. That's why we sing a song declaring that we belong to Jesus. Jesus, our King. This is why we sing these songs together as as we are built on the solid rock. On solid rock I stand. This cross, the, 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 the rock that I stand on, is the cornerstone of Jesus himself. And in the remaining verses, it is important to understand that we need to belong to the church of Christ. And now the question is, okay, so which church is correct? Well, the one that preaches the gospel message, the one that goes according to God's word. Well, they all proclaim that. Well, they might proclaim it, but do they do it? But before we get there a little bit, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read this portion of scripture. I'm going to give you a biblical understanding of what it means to be in a local church. And then we're going to go back and go over these verses. But let me read this from verses 19 through 22. Because as we talked about last week, that in verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we all have access now, not just the Jews, not just the Christians. We all have access. We have that ability to have access. When you see all these things that Paul talks about from verses 1 to verse 19, now we have access. And then in verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture that gives us assurance that we belong to you, that we are part of your body, that we are within the, not only the universal church, but within the local church. 
as we should be. So lead us this morning in the understanding as to why it is that we gather, as to why it is that we meet, as to why it is that it's important to belong to not only the universal church, but also to a local church body. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Number one, the church is both universal and local. The, both is, the church is both universal and local. The universal church is the worldwide church. It's the Christian church, also known as the invisible church. And, and as a matter of fact, the word Catholic means universal. And the Catholic church, which at first was the entire, entirety of the church up until the, sixth, the Reformation, it, it was designed to be this universal church, this body of believers that got together. And the church is the new covenant community of God made up of all Christians between the day of Pentecost until the rapture. And so this church that Jesus Christ himself established, he told Peter himself in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Petras, Peter, and on this rock is Petras. I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail it. And not that Peter was to be the cornerstone, because there's only one cornerstone to one building. There's not a bunch of cornerstones to, to a bunch of buildings, but it's only one church. And this is the church that Jesus Christ has established. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 1.22, we, we read here a few weeks ago, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to the believers that unite in this little, little community called Ephesus, and there's where they're at, at in, in that local church. Now, the local church of Christians is, a certain, is in a certain location. The local church is a group of believers that regularly gather together for the purpose of accomplishing a divinely ordained task. And so we have to come to the Bible to find out what is that divinely ordained task? What is it that we should be doing? And there are many divine ordained tasks that the Bible has. And of course, one of them is worship. We worship God. We, we honor our, our service to Him. Fellowship is a big part of what we do as a church. We fellowship together. Ministry, we minister to, to one another. We minister to God as well. And so we serve. Evangelism is a big part of what the church is supposed to be doing. And so we have these purposes that we find within the church that we are to be about and doing on a regular basis, whether it's a, a 2,000-member church, a 200-member church, or a 20-member church. Whatever, whatever size the church is, the, the, the responsibility is not negated or added to because of the size of your church. That is our responsibility. That is what we should be doing. And so the most common usage of the word church is found in the New Testament. And the most common usage within the most common usage of the church and how the church should be structured, it was never a universal church. Because to be a part of the universal church is what we should be. And there are a lot of people that say, well, you know, I'm part of the universal church and I'm part of the invisible church. Well, well, that's good. But when you get sick in the hospital, who goes to visit you? The invisible pastor? You know, I mean, at, at your funeral, I'm doing funerals for people that don't have pastors. I'm doing another one here in a few weeks. And people call, hey, can you? Well, what, and I always ask, well, what church did he attend? Have you ever thought about calling them? Well, you know, and, and so then the truth comes out. We, well, he actually did. You know, but, but anyways, the fact of the matter is, the family needs ministering to. 
And in order to be able to minister to somebody effectively, we can minister to them one day, which I thank Jan and Elisa and uh, uh, Adrian and those that were able to come south and those that were able to be here to be a part of that, to minister to this, this, this family that was, well, first of all, they lost their loved one, a father of nine, bunch of grandkids, bunch of friends. This place was just packed, standing room only. And uh, Lee said to me earlier, he says, wow, how come I didn't get invited? What were you guys? No, he didn't say that. I said, we had a funeral here yesterday. He goes, yeah, I saw that. So there was a lot of people and the parking lot was full. And it was, but it was an opportunity to minister to people. But that should be ongoing. And, and more than likely, I, I probably will never see most of them again. A lot of them came from all over the place. And I asked them and I prayed with them. I says, find yourself a local church. You need to find a local church to be ministered to through this time of struggles. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you understand what that means and how that feels. Some of you have struggled with some of the things that some of these people are struggling with also. And so we need a local church. And in the Bible, we hear that all over the place. I mean, as a matter of fact, in in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the church of God that is in Corinth, not the universal church throughout the world, but he identified and isolated one specific church. When he wrote to the churches in Galatia, he says to the churches in Galatia, Galatia was a region, there were a lot of churches, and he says, I'm, I'm writing to every single individual church. In Ephesus and in Colossus and in Philippi, he says to the saints who are in Ephesus and Colossus and in Philippi. In Thessalonica, he says to the church of the Thessalonians. I, I think my favorite is the one in Revelation 1-4 when John is writing. He says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Each individual church had an individual personality, an individual strength, and an individual weakness. And Jesus Christ identified each one with their strengths, their weaknesses, and what they should do. The church is a local body. The word ecclesia, or the word church, comes from the Greek word ecclesia. It's two words, ek and ecclesia. And, and ek is coming out of, but the ecclesia was more of a, a political gathering to accomplish a, a task, to set laws and legislature in, in the Roman Empire. And ecclesia is not necessarily a religious term, but we took it as a, and we applied it as a religious term. And people would gather in numbers and they would have something in common. They would assemble regularly for, in certain locations to be able to do some certain guidelines or specifics or laws. That's why they gathered in, and that's why they called it the Ecclesia. And so when we apply it to the church, a church is a group of people in Christ who assemble regularly to glorify God and exalt the Savior. The local church is the God-intended expression of the universal church. You see, the universal church was the universal fellowship of believers who met visibly in local assemblies. And the local church is a manifestation of the universal body of Christ that are in specific locations. So the universal church should all be in common in one goal, And if you know anything about church history, you know that that's not been the case. There's been infighting. There's been backbiting. There's been struggles between denominations and struggles between all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, the reason we have the Protestant movement is because they were protesting the universal church, the Catholic church. And the, the protest wasn't because of they didn't like the pastor, they didn't like you know the food they served, they didn't like all the they were protesting against the misuse of indulgences. 
That's not biblical. You can't ask people to pay their way into heaven. This just, it's just wrong. You can't, you, you can't tell people that they have to be saved by, by works. And so when Luther, he, he, he nailed his thesis on the church wall. I don't know if you know this or not, but he put it on the door on December 30, excuse me, October 31st. October 31st has always been known as Reformation Day. You know it as October 31st. What's that? Halloween, Halloween exactly. And people wonder, why did he do it on Halloween? Well, the point was not to celebrate Halloween, but the very next day was All Saints Day. And so on November the 1st, everybody was going to show up, and there were these theses, uh, these, these were his arguments. And uh, so that's why he nailed it on o- October 31st. Nothing to do with Halloween. But the purpose was not to break up the church. The purpose was not to make their own denomination or their own movement. The purpose was to gather the saints and bring them back to the Word of God. And so when that didn't work out, the church didn't want to change. They loved the fact that they were making money. They loved the fact that they were the only ones that had divine intervention by God. Well, this is what God is telling us to tell you. We have these secret messages that come from God. You don't need the Bible. Just listen to what I have to tell you and pay your indulgences as well. If you want your loved ones to go to heaven. Otherwise, they're going to spend eternity and purgatory suffering. How dare you? They would say, how dare you with all that you have? We have nothing. Well, you have more than the people in purgatory. How dare you squander? We're not squandering. We're trying to, okay, I'm squandering on water and bread. That's all I got. And they would flog the people of their meager means that they had to encourage and further their agenda. And this is where the people were, pro- you know, this is wrong. You're not saved by those types of works. That's not how it's done. And, and from that point forward, it, it just, everywhere that, the, that God is establishing his kingdom, everywhere that God has put together his kingdom, Satan is right there just opposing. And in every church, in every place, I don't care how godly and, and how correct and how to the point and doctrinally sound it is, uh, Satan's going to find a way to infiltrate, to stir up the problems and troubles. He's going to find a way on how to do that. And so within the church, we have to keep a close eye on our doctrine. We have to keep a close eye on, on what we believe. But like the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, I, I, I like the fact that you don't let in the Nicolaitans. You don't let in uh, any of those other teachings. And you guys have, are sound in your doctrine, but you've lost your first love. And we can be as sound as we can in our doctrine and not love people. And, you know, we can just be, just be as, just as bad. And so understanding what the local church is, the divinely ordained expression of God's people on earth, begins to help us to understand why we should be a part of the church. When you take all these factors into consideration, North Park Baptist Church is a group of people who have something in common, Jesus Christ, who assemble regularly at 5095 Mayfield Avenue, San Bernardino, California, to glorify God and exalt the Savior. We have something in common, we have a place that we meet at, and we do it for a specific purpose. When you whittle that down a little bit, North Park Baptist Church is a group of believers who are united in Jesus Christ and who assemble regularly to glorify God and exalt the Savior. The purpose of North Park Baptist Church is to unite in Christ 
to glorify God and exalt the Savior. That's what we do. We gather together to glorify God and exalt the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, out of that, out of that, we minister to children, we minister to youth. Out of that, we minister to the community. Out of that, we do the purposes that God has called us to do. But our main goal is to glorify God and to exalt the Savior. That's what we do. We don't glorify denomination. We don't glorify political uh, party. We don't glorify uh, or exalt a social status of any type or a social movement of any type. It's God and Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have that as our common goal as a local church. And it's a commitment. It's a selfless commitment where I put myself aside and I'm putting you, the member of this church, in high honor, in high esteem, in high regard, to minister to you. Number two, we are to be members of a local church. We are to be members of a local church. In Romans chapter 12, I think Paul captures it very well. In verse 4 he says, For as in one body we have many members, and many members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. One body typically has two arms, two legs, a head, with nose, eyes, ears, and, 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 and a mouthpiece, typically. My granddaughter came in this morning and I saw her. She had her arm inside her dress. And I go, who took off your arm? <laughs> that was, I mean, right off the top, I knew, I knew where it was at. But it just kind of looked different. That's not right. There's something not right in this picture. And she was laughing. And she pulls it out. There's something not right with the body and its missing parts. We need a mouthpiece. We need arms. We need hands. I thank God for the hands and the feet that were here yesterday to help serve. And there were so many people here. And they asked our staff, could you guys serve for us? I said, oh, no, no, no. We're not here. To you guys have to figure that out. We're just here to help you get things, show you where things are at. I mean, it was just a lot to ask of the staff, really. I wish we had a staff to be able to you know, just take care of that. To be able to help with the serving and, and the cleaning up and all that. We, well, all that was taken care of by them. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that they, uh, those that showed up yesterday, they, they did an amazing job. It was just awesome on what, what they put together and were able to, to, to minister to 100 people. So, so, Jan, are you ready for 100 people to show up next Sunday? Oh, yeah, you are. You're, ready. You're, you're geared to go, right? <laughs> but she might need some help. <laughs> Yeah, because we, we were able to minister to seats everywhere, chairs everywhere. So, and that's, that's what we do. We need hands and feet. We need other voices. We need teachers. We need, you know, those types of ministries because this is the local body of Christ. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13, well, I'll read that later. You see, the, the early church, they modeled this. They modeled this and they kept this, this membership going within the church. In 1 Timothy 5, 9, uh, 5, 9 through 10, it says, uh, Paul's telling Timothy, he says, let the widow be enrolled. A lot of people don't catch this. She needs to be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. How would they know if she's not less than 60 years of age? Well, she needs to be enrolled. Enrolled in what? Well, in the church membership. She, we should know, you know, how old our members are. And, uh, you know, I like to send birthday cards out. 
And we need a birthday card ministry team to be able to do that. We're having a hard time getting that together. Uh, Having been the wife of one husband, how do we know that? Well, because she was a member of this church. And having a reputation for good works, yes, I remember her. She was always doing great around the house, with, around the church, with the people that were coming. And now she is in need. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, how would we know all these things if she was not part of the body of Christ? The church knew specifics about people. They knew the names and the ages and the locations of the widows. They knew whether they had served faithfully or not. And so it is important to be able to, 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 to include and to, uh, to see and, and to be able to be a part of a ministry. And, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the, that's one of the draws or the allures of a small church. And, and I heard this often. I hear this often. You know, I go to XYZ church. Not, not that there's an actual XYZ church. I'm just, you know that, right? Anyways, I, I go to this church and it's just big. I walk in there and I can walk out and nobody even knows I'm there. You know, I like being able to, to talk to a pastor, let alone the pastor. I like to be able to pray with him to come and, and know the people that I'm fellowshipping with. I heard that yesterday. And, and so, I, and I tell people, look, we're not looking to take people out of the church that you're in. You were there for a very specific purpose. You need to find out what God has you doing there. You need to do what it is that God's called you to do in that church. If you feel isolated, you might find that oh, there are a lot of the people that are isolated right around you. Start a small group. Get connected. Get, get, get people around you so that when you go to church, you can sit together. And be a, a small church within the big church. The we, they knew specific individuals who were associated with specific churches. Like, for instance, I commend, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea. And so, I mean, Paul is identifying different individuals in different places. The early church knew who was associated with which church. Leaders are responsible for members. Number three, leaders are responsible for the members of the church. God gives responsibilities to elders and the church leaders. And so I exhort, Paul Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that is now to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd, pastor, pastor that flock. Take care of the flock. Jesus' favorite term, and, and he would, he would uh, pass that on to Peter and to Paul. And, and, and he would say, you know, they are sheep. You need to be the pastor. You need to be the one that cares for them, leading them, feeding them, directing them, protecting them from danger, from false doctrine, from false teaching, protecting them. And, and you know, I, I've been accused sometimes, of, you know, it's, it's speaking against other churches and how they believe and what they believe. It, it, it's false doctrine. And, and I know that many people don't want to hear that because they want to be so inclusive and bring everybody in. But the fact of the matter is, is that my responsibility to you is to teach and to help you understand the doctrines of, of the Bible. And, and when you understand the doctrines of the Bible, it should change you. See, doctrines, what they do is they define us who we are. And once they define us who we are, then it starts to divide us from those that are teaching false doctrine. 
And it's, it's amazing because every time that somebody spoke up against false doctrine in the Bible, they were the troublemaker. Every time Paul stood up for it, every time Peter stood up, every time James stood up, they were the troublemakers. They were the ones that were cast out because people love their sin. I'm comfortable here. Don't tell me what to do. I'm okay here. You know, you're stirring the, you're stirring the boat. You're stirring the pot, rocking the boat. And so it could be true of myself as well. But the, the point of the matter is, is, this is what the Bible is teaching us, that we should shepherd the flock among them, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Elders have the responsibility to shepherd the flock. And the flock that we should be shepherding are those among you, Peter says. Those that are among, how can we shepherd those who are among us if they're not part of us? Like First John, like in First John, John would say, you know, they went out from us because they were not of us. That's why they went out from us. How are we supposed to know the flock if they're not among us? When you shepherd someone, you have to know what's going on in their life. You need to know what's going on and, and how to pray for them, how to minister to them, things that we can do. We've had people that, you know, not even realizing it, uh, until somebody said something. I was talking to so-and-so, and you know, they're struggling at home. And we go and we minister. We either take food, we either take whatever we can to help them with a, a gift card of some sort to Stater Brothers, because that's what we do. We pick people up, we give people rides, we, we pray for them, we minister. To them. There's a lot of ministry going on behind the scenes. And there are certain people that we have right now in place that'll do that, pick you up and take you wherever you need to go. But we don't know these things unless, well... You're part of the group. We need for you to be a part of the group so we can minister to you. That is my responsibility. That is our responsibility. We have a responsibility to our leaders as well. In Hebrews 13, 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul says this in Corinthians 11, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How can you be imitators of the leadership if we don't have a relationship going on? All you see is a Sunday morning thing. You don't see my lifestyle in the weekend you don't see, or during the week. And we, we gather together to imitate someone's faith. You have to know them well. You need to know them and to follow them. And more than just once a week or once a month, some twice a year. I need to be committed to be around them. I, I can imitate my leader's faith best when I know them. And so I am to follow their example, and I pray that you follow the example of a godly leader. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And you cannot esteem and, and look and, and, and esteem them and respect them if we're not around our leaders. You know, we, had a, a, a children, we have a children's ministry, and um, for some time, a lot of people didn't know who my wife was or, or my daughter is, you know, that it's ministering to the kids. To some of the kids that, were, that the parents were bringing, they would just drop them off and leave them there, and, and then they would take off. There, there needs to be that, that rapport, that understanding that we are caring for your children. We're teaching them the young doctrines of the faith. 
uh, okay, I shouldn't say young doctors. We're teaching them doctrines of the faith to young individuals in the manner that they can understand. I don't know if I told you this or not, but it's amazing what my, my wife and, and Celine are doing. They're teaching the kids on the tabernacle. Now, I don't know if, how much of the tabernacle you know, but if you want, to talk, you want to learn a little bit about the tabernacle, have one of the kids teach you what they learned about the tabernacle. How, you know, my, my grandson says, yeah, they had, they had four, four blankets on the tabernacle. Four blankets. Yeah, they had a black one, a red one, and one made out of uh, sea cow. <laughs> sea cow. Well, it, it's a, a, a manaphy or something like that. I don't know. But anyways, yeah, and there was another one. I can't remember. Four coverings on it. You know, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, and each one is symbolic. Each one is symbolic. It's interesting. Once again, we're teaching them at a young age. They'll hold on to this. I don't know if any of you remember your Sunday school days. Number four, let's go on. Uh, church discipline necessitates it. I, I cannot discipline. We cannot discipline each other if we're not part of a body. When Jesus is talking about the church, he's talking about what it is that we should do as members of the church. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If there's something between you and somebody else, go and talk to them. Please talk to them. This is what Jesus is saying. And, and, and then the second part, but, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You're not just going to grab people from the streets. You know, won't you go with me? No, you're going to grab people that know this person, people that are committed to each other, people that understand their struggles and their weaknesses, and you want to help them out. Because if you go back to the first verse, if you've gained the problem, the, the purpose is not to excommunicate them, the purpose is to gain them, to bring them back in, to help them in their weakness and their sin. And it's always best to take people that have probably have struggled with the same sin as the brother. And then the third part is, if he, ref if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. See, Jesus Christ already had in mind the ecclesia, the called out ones. He already had in mind that there's going to be struggles, there's going to be sin, we're sinful people, we need accountability. We need accountability. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Now here's the problem in some churches, and it's happened here as well. Somebody sins against another person. First thing they do is they go and tell it to the church. They do this backwards. They tell it to the church. And then they individually, oh yeah, we need to pray for so and so. What's going on? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what he did to me. <laughs> Here's, and we really, you know, we spent a half an hour, okay, well, I got to get going. Well, let's pray from, well, we'll pray from next time. And, and this is how gossip starts. This is how hatred starts and division start. And what we need to be careful of doing is making sure that we follow what Jesus Christ has called us to do. And the goal of church discipline is not to excommunicate anybody, but the goal is restoration, to bring them back in. The final step is to put that person out of the church. In order to remove someone out of the church, they got to be in the church. They got to be committed to the church. And that's one of the hardest parts of church membership. People don't want to be committed. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to be called upon to do anything because, you know, I'm comfortable. I'm good. 
But, and there needs to be an official roster of the church members to help identify who can be counted on. Number five, the one another's commanded. There are over 58 one another's. 58 of them, just a few that I have here. Be devoted to one another, rebuke one another, serve one another, forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. How am I going to bear your burdens if I don't even know who you are? How are you going to bear my burdens if I don't even know who you don't even know who I am? You know, a lot of people think that I don't have any problems because I'm the pastor. Well, my wife and I have learned how to take our burdens to one another. But there are certain things that, um, you know, let me just give you a personal testimony. This just happened to me this last week. Some of you know that on Father's Day, June 20th, my catalytic converter was stolen from my wife's car that was parked right out here. We caught it on video, and uh, it was right after church at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was Father's Day, so we were having this little Father's Day get-together over there. Somebody rolls underneath my car, zip, 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 a couple of three minutes of that. It's gone. My wife jumps in the car, she turns it on, she comes back to me, she says, there's something wrong with my car. And I go, what is it? She says, it sounds like a motorcycle. Well, they stole your catalytic converter. No, no, they, yeah, they did. They couldn't have. So I went up under there, and it was gone. So it's been missing now for, well, since then. And here we are already going into October, and they don't have the part. There are so many candidate converters that have been stolen. That, that to, and then with all the containers that are out in the ocean, and you know, all the parts are... My catalytic converter is out in the harbor somewhere, and it hasn't come in yet. And so here I am, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like stressed out. My wife's using my... She don't like my truck, and... Um, which is good. She likes her car. She wants her car, and I drive it because, and it makes a lot of noise. The grandkids love it, you know. Wow, Grandpa, do that again! <laughs> Sounds pretty cool. It sounds like a little race car, but my wife doesn't like it. And finally, a brother here, James. He says, "Have you done anything? What happened?" I says, "Well, I don't know, man. You know what? Let me put you in contact with people that I know." He says, "I want to carry your burden for just a moment here." He takes me across the street from his shop. That guy looks at my, what they took, and the, the, the mechanic under the car, he's laughing. He's cracking up. I go, what's the matter? He goes, they took the wrong one. <laughs> I go, it doesn't matter if it was the right one or the wrong one. It still messed up my day. He goes, that one is, is worthless. The ones that were of the money. Well, you know what? I better stop there because somebody might be listening online and says, okay, tell us where they are. So he says, here, go see this guy. And I went over there, and, of course, the cat is nowhere to be found. Uh, it's months Months before it can come in. They tell me now, probably in November, since June. But long story short, the guy says, you know what, I, I can, this, this piece right here, you don't need it. It's part of California regulations, but you really don't need it. And I can help you for now. And what he did, 10 minutes, top, psh, psh, welded a piece of pipe right in between there. How come I didn't think of that? Lifted my burden like, like you wouldn't believe. And how did he know that? Because him and I, we hang out together, we pray together, we study together. I go visit him at his shop because he knows of my burdens. Now, this brother, he has a lot of burdens of his own as well. You know, his wife, his daughter, uh, they have a daughter at home uh, that, that, that they have to care for because of an accident that happened many years ago. And, and they, they, are, they are doing what they can as much as they can. You see, we need to carry, bear one another's burdens. And the only way that anybody could know that, and, and to top it off, the mechanic that I went to, he was a pastor of a small church in San Bernardino. The guy that I, they sent me to was another minister of some sort uh, of a muffler shop. So, I mean, God just connected us. 
And, and it's just amazing, you know, people that you know that I might need help from or people that I know that you might need help from. Stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. You're just not going to go out in the street and grab the first person that comes by and start confessing your sins to that person. You want to confess your sins to one another. This is not something you come forward in the middle of the service and confess to everybody. The way they used to make us do when we were kids. Tell everybody what you did. Tell them, tell, I messed up. Tell us what you did. Be specific. Come on. <laughs> Otherwise, God's not going to forgive you. <laughs> uh, we confess for one, our sins to one another and pray for one another. And so the one another is commanded. There is no other way around it. And there's over 58 of them. And when we do that, it has to be an intimate relationship with one another. And the last thing I want to share with you is the church metaphors illustrated. It gets us right back into our, first, our, our verse, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You see, we're not. When you belong to the universal church, you're not an alien. You're not a stranger. You're a citizen of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is throughout the world. And God's kingdom is universal, but it's also local. And the local church is the manifestation of the universal church. And the universal church is the embodiment of the local church. And the local church makes up this universal church. But the local church is where it's at. And so we are now part of the kingdom. And then he goes on to say, so you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. You are now part of the family of God. You're my brother. You're my sister. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. And this family matters more in all eternity than your carnal family. I've said that before, and people just do not like that. Nope, my family is the most important thing in the world. Well, you know, that, that's great. And uh, we want them to be a part of God's family. Well, some of them aren't. <laughs> Okay, your Christian family is going to last forever. And that earthly family is tearing you apart, taking you away from what God has ordained you to do. So we are part of his household. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 6, if you remember, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. You're supposed to be good to everybody. You're supposed to have friends. You're supposed to have friends, but fellowship is only done within the family of God. You, you do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our priority is to you, the members of this church, the members of the body of Christ. That's our priority. And we do good to everybody else. We have friendship. We have friendships in the world. People that can help us, like mufflers and cars and stuff like that. But we also have fellowship. And you know, it's interesting because some people have said, you know, it seems like those friendships that are in the world treat me a lot better than the fellowship that I have in the church. It's that old saying, you know, to, to be up above with the saints that I love, oh, that would be glory. But to live here below with the saints that I know, well, that's a whole different story. So we're united in God and in His family. We're united in His family. We are a temple of God in verses 20 and 22, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You see, the foundation has been laid. Apostles and prophets, done. 
There's only one foundation because there's only one cornerstone. I don't know if you know what a cornerstone is, but a cornerstone was always the first and the biggest block that was put up in all these buildings that were placed throughout the, throughout the country, uh, back in the world back then. And these, these blocks had to be square because everything was contingent about, upon where that block was laid and how it just plumbed out. And how it was square. Everything came off of that. Jesus Christ, everything comes off of Jesus Christ. And and he is the the cornerstone. And the foundation that the apostles and the prophets laid out is what we are building on now. I don't know about you, but my house only has one foundation. When when Jesus Christ returns and we see the temple, there's going to be 12 apostles. There's going to be 24 elders total. Uh, there's, there's not going to be all these different prophets and all these different apostles that go around claiming themselves. There's only, there were only the 12. And everything has been laid upon them. And they are the foundation of the church. And on that foundation of the church, the church has been now given evangelists, pastors, teachers, deacons, overseers, bishops. That's what we have now that we build upon. And this temple of God is, is, as he goes on to say, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. We are a part of Christ's body. And the last part of it is the body of Christ. You are now the body of Christ and individual members of it. And we talked a little bit about that just a little bit ago, but this this body that we have, it's the one body. And you're a, a very essential part of it. You may not stand out. You might not be able to do the things that some people do. But we do have very, it, it's interesting to know that we have various gifts and talents that you can do, that you can be a part of. And, and so as we go to the Lord's table this morning and remember what Jesus Christ did for us, there's one thing that we have to remember is that Jesus Christ did this for us. This is why I will follow. Because of what he's done for us. I was nothing. I was absolutely nothing. But he gave his life for me. I was for, I'm forgiven. And he was forsaken. I was accepted. He was denied from the world. And before we go to the Lord's Supper, uh, I'd like for you to hear from one of our members, one of our, our uh, that are, are coming here. You, you may know him. His name is uh, Lee. I'm going to ask Lee to come forward. And in the process of, um, as while he gets ready, he's going to bring a song for us that kind of pictures and kind of gives us a little bit of what we were before. But at the same time, I'm going to ask you to go and uh, as soon as he's done here, we're going, to go, we're going to go and partake of the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper is always a time that we can remember what Jesus Christ has done for us and lead us to the point when we will be able to, yeah, thank thank you, that we will be able to share this meal with him. And um, as soon as we're done here, we're going to walk back over to the, uh, the table and get things ready. Okay.